please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. When you're there, say I'm there. First, at um, at verse five, and then we'll run into uh, where we uh, where we'll be this morning. In verse five, Paul says, "So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is a if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works." Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, in quotes here from Isaiah 29, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. There he's quoting Deuteronomy 29. And David says in Psalm 69, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, Paul writes, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion or their fullness mean? Let's ask that God would give us wisdom and instruction that we may hear and we may heed his word. Let's pray. All our lives, you have indeed been faithful, Lord God. All our lives, you have been so, so good. You have loved us well in a sick and twisted world. And you will love us still. Father, help us in your word to see that even in the face of great atrocity, even in the midst of hard hearts in our community and in our country, in our world, you are still God. You are still our Father in heaven. And you are still on a mission to make all things new. Lord, help us to see what is really hard for us to see. Help us, Lord, to hear what is really hard for us to hear right now. Help us, Father, to embrace reality. You are the living God. And you will not fail us. 
thank you. Father, I pray for the brokenhearted. I pray for the weary and the worn. I pray for the sick and tired. Father, would you speak to us today? And may we leave out of here, as Paul will at the end of this chapter, praising you and saying, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given to the Lord that it might be repaid to him for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be all the glory forever. Lord, I pray that we would leave out of here worshiping in the dark because we have seen the light of your grace in the face of Jesus Christ. Do big things in our hearts. Move in great ways among your people. And Father, I pray that the gospel of Christ would ring forth. Even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we look around and, and we see failure. We see failure everywhere, don't we? We look at our institutions and we see failure. Politicians acting like little children. Playing junior high games. Not caring about the interests of the people, but caring more about their own self-interests. Caring about the profits that are, that are going into their parties. Not concerned about the lives that are suffering, if not altogether dying on their watch. Failure. We see failure on our uh, communal, social uh, ground levels. Neighbor no longer trusts neighbor. Everyone is suspicious of everyone else. You have people who are afraid that, that, that these people over here with different colored skin are going to take away our jobs and take away our livelihood and take away our standard of life. And so we need to walk into school buildings or walk into grocery stores or wherever we can and just gun them all down. We're not even afraid anymore to wear a white sheet to hide our faces. We can be bold and brazen now because that's the world that we live in. Failure. We see failure in the churches. We used to pat ourselves on the back, didn't we? At least we're not Catholic. Only to find out that as we were grandstanding and doing our little victory laps all around the country about how great of a convention we are, we turn around and realize that all of this stuff was going on at home too. We were just sweeping it under the rug. Failure. Failure upon failure upon failure upon failure. And you are tempted and I know you're tempted because I'm tempted to look at all of this and say, has this all been a lie? You hear people talking about deconstructing, leaving the faith altogether and saying, I'm just going to do my own thing and just carve out my own path of life. I, I, I don't even know who to trust anymore. I don't know who to listen to anymore. I, I, I don't know where to go anymore. I'm just going to do my own thing. Why? Why are they doing that? They're doing that because they are witnessing, just like we are witnessing, failure everywhere. Straight across the board. Maybe tempted 
wonder if this God that we're talking about is affecting the world in any way. I mean, we're supposed to be the ones being the light to the world. Our light looks more like a flicker. It looks more like a strobe light. A black light. It's supposed to shine, and instead it's just kind of blending in with everything else. This is God's plan? This is what God is after? This is the the great commission? Failure. It's easy for us to think at this moment The world has gone absolutely off its axis and is just spinning off into nothingness. Our our, our institutions are crumbling to pieces right before our eyes. The public good, the, the well-being of our society seems to be unraveling. Our churches have lost their distinctiveness from the world. And we honestly don't know what God is doing and where he even is. Of all the places that we could go into the scriptures, I think that it is the providence of God that we are right here where we are in Romans 11. Why? Because Paul is grappling with that very same thing with his people. Yeah, Paul is wrestling with that very same thing. If you remember, we're nearing the end of chapter 11, and so we may need to have a little bit of a review as we, uh, uh, from where we've come. Romans is a pretty big letter, and it takes a while to get through the whole thing, and so it's easy for us to forget the argument. But remember at the end of chapter 8, Paul said most emphatically, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And he wants you to hold on to that promise. He wants you to grab a hold of that. And he wants you never to let go of that. Nothing, nothing in all of the universe is capable of separating you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But he realizes that that may sound hollow to you when you consider all of the promises that God has given to Israel in the Old Testament, and yet in the light of the person and work of Jesus Christ, Israel is outside of salvation. They're outside of the church. They're outside of the people of God. Even though they had all of the promises from Abraham going all the way to the time of Christ, all these promises that God had given to them, the promise of blessing through, uh, through the line of Abraham, the promise of, of blessing to them as a people from the Mosaic law, the blessing of, of a perpetual kingdom that God gave to David, and all of these promises that God had given to them, and they experienced none of them because they don't trust in Jesus. Hold up. If, if God's promises can be trusted in Christ, then what's up with these people over here who are standing outside of the promised blessings that God had given to them thousands of years longer than he gave them to us? What's up with that? And Paul's got to grapple with this. He's looking at his people and he's saying, y'all, my people, chapter 9, he says, my kinsmen according to the flesh, my Jewish brothers and sisters, my aunts and uncles and cousins and, and, and brothers and sisters and so on. My people, I'm a child of Abraham, Paul's saying. And, 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 and being in that same lineage, being in that same ethnicity, growing up in the same country and all of that. And I'm looking at my nation unraveling because they won't trust in Christ. And all the promises right now do not apply to them because they have not trusted in the one through whom all the promises flow. So Paul's saying, does this mean that God's plan is done? Does this mean that God won't finish what he started? 
Israel has not received what they wanted to receive. Israel didn't get what was promised to them. Has God's plan failed? From chapter 9 into chapter 10, and now wrapping up in chapter 11, we're seeing Paul's answer. And I pray that what Paul gives to, the, uh, to his Roman brothers and sisters in Christ concerning Israel would be as much of an encouragement to you in this darkness as it was to him in his darkness, in the dark season that he was going through, looking at the lostness of his people. Here's what we're going to find out. We're going to find out that Israel's failure to receive what they were seeking, and I'll tell you what they were seeking in just a bit, is not outside of God's plan. It doesn't mean that God's plan has failed because this was the plan all along. This was the plan all along. So first thing, what we're going to see in verses uh, 7 through 10 is that Israel's failure was part of God's plan. God planned Israel's failure. You say, hold on, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? We're going to explain that in just a bit. God, uh, uh, Israel's failure was part of God's plan. And then what we're going to see in verse 11 is that Israel's failure is part of God's purpose. He planned their failure, and he planned it for a purpose. Paul's going to show that that purpose isn't exactly what we think it is. It's actually a little bit of a plot twist in the, in the mission of God. And then lastly, he's going to say something that I think is absolutely amazing. He moves from Israel's failure to Israel's fullness. He says Israel's fullness, he teaches that, his full, that their fullness will be part of God's people. Okay? Those are, that's kind of the, 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 the road map here as we go through this passage. I want to give a little, little clarification, maybe some guardrails as we, as we go road tripping through this passage here. Some guardrails. First, it's very important for you to understand what Paul's talking about here. If we get this mixed up and everything, then the argument doesn't make sense and, and we, we're, we're off in Sioux Falls somewhere <laughs> instead of here you know, uh, uh, in, in, in Romans uh, chapter 11. So let's, so let's try to understand what he means. He's going to talk here about national Israel. Okay? He's going to talk about the, the people that make up the nation of Israel. Or you could say the ethnic people of Israel, the Jewish people. Okay? And he's going to talk about them in very broad strokes. All right. Now, you could easily go, oh, but wait a second, what about that person over here or that individual here and all that? And you do that, and you're going to get lost in this, in this, in this, uh, this paragraph here. You're going to get lost because he's not talking on that kind of individual, personal level. He's talking in big, broad strokes. Okay? Uh, and so we've got to make sure that we keep that in mind as we, as we go on in here. Uh, and hopefully that will that'll be made more clear as we, uh, as we look at this. But, but let's look first off. Israel's failure was part of God's plan. Look at verse 7. He says, what then? So, so just to note, if you go all the way from chapter 9, verse 30, and work all the way here to chapter 11, verse 6, Paul has been making a big point here. And now he's going to reiterate that point here in, chap- in chapter 11, verse 7. So I would encourage you to read chapters 9.30 all the way over here to chapter 11. But for those of you who want a Cliff's Notes version of this, this verse is the Cliff's Notes, okay? This is the easy, kind of bite-sized TLDR, right? Uh, too long, don't read, you know, and all of this. But do read, because it's the Word of God. Uh, but, but, but this is kind of the, the summary of all of that is here in verse 7. He says, what then? What have I been talking about? What am I saying here? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. There it is. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Now that leads you to the question, well, what were they seeking? Well, go back to chapter 9. 
And look at verse 30. Paul says there, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But, verse 31, that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as if it were based on works. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, and again, hear Paul's heart aching here. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Amen. So here's what what they're trying to seek. They, They failed to obtain what they were seeking. What was Israel seeking? Righteousness. They wanted to be made right with God. They wanted to be in a right relationship with God. They wanted to receive all the blessings that come from God as people who are in a right relationship with him. Here's the problem. They did not obtain what they were seeking because they thought that they had to do it their way. So if I could just clean myself up, if I could just turn my life around, if I, if I can turn over a new leaf, if I can put on a new lease on life and all these different things, then God will look at us and, 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 he will, and he will pour out his favor on us. He'll be proud of us. If I could just do something to make God proud of me, then all of a sudden everything will be fine and I will, and I will be right before God and God will give me all of his blessing. God blesses those, this was their theology, God blesses those with whom he is well pleased. And so, therefore, we need to work to earn his pleasure. I got to get on his good side. I got to wow him. I've got to impress him. I've got to turn his head and all of that. And Paul says in here, as he said throughout the entire letter of Romans, that's impossible. It's impossible for you to turn God's head. God is infinitely holy and infinitely righteous. Do you honestly think that God is in any way impressed with your little puny righteousness? That's like somebody over, uh, uh, say you go out into uh, uh, um, uh, different parts of the triangle and so on. Annie and I were, were looking at houses. No, we're staying in Youngsville. But, but we were looking uh, at houses just for the fun of it. And, and there was this five-bedroom, five full bath house, 4,904 square feet, and, and everything. I mean, they had an outdoor kitchen, full outdoor kitchen, you know, in their patio and all of this. It overlooked uh, uh, one, of the, one of the creeks and so on in the triangle. I forget which one, and everything. And I was like, wow, that's impressive. Looking at the pictures, oh, my goodness. Looked at the price. Oh, dear Lord. Um, <laughs> whoa. A million dollars. Now, there's some of y'all who are here, they're like, for real? That's a steal. Okay, let's do that. I'm not in that group. Um, that's, that's not me. Okay, now imagine someone who could afford that house and, and me uh, pulling up in my 2001 Chevy Malibu talking about, man, this thing really goes, man. Let me tell you. Let me tell you all the things that are in here. Oh, don't worry about the, the armrest. It, it, it broke about 10 years ago. Um, but, but, but look at this. You know, they're going to look at you, and that, that's the best that I can offer <laughs> with my Southeastern Seminary salary. Um, you know, that, that's, that's wonderful. But, but to them, they look at that, and they go, wow, that's, I mean, it's kind of impressive. It's impressive that the thing still runs, um, you know, and all that. What could I possibly do? you know, to wow them with, while they're living the life that they live and, and having the luxuries that they have. There's nothing I could do that would ever impress them. You see what's going on here? How in the world could you think your righteousness would ever turn the head of an infinitely righteous and infinitely holy God? It's impossible. And yet that's what they tried to do. 
they, they failed to obtain what they were seeking. Because in their stubbornness, they thought, maybe this time I could turn God's head. There will never be a this time. There will never be. If you are seeking to turn God's head with your righteousness. But look what he says. He says, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. But then he says this, the elect obtained it. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now, what's he talking about here? You could uh, have assumed that Paul would say, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Those who believed obtained it, and those who didn't believe didn't obtain it. That's what we would expect him to say, especially in light of what he said in Romans 10. So why didn't they receive it? They didn't receive it because they didn't believe. Why did some of the people of Israel uh, receive this? They received it because they did believe. But see, here's the thing. If Paul said it that way at this point in his argument, it would give us, I think this is what Paul's thinking, it would give us the opportunity, knowing who we are, knowing the kinds of people that we are, to pat ourselves on the back. Why, why did we, why did some in Israel get it and, and, and become righteous before God while the others did not become righteous before God? Well, it was just because we were, you know, better kinds of people than they were. We heard the message and we believed because we have some sense in us. These folks over here did not believe because, you know, loopy, you know, that's why they didn't believe. But we, you know, we're the geniuses in the world. We're the better, you know, uh, uh, of the litter and everything. We, that's why we believe. And Paul is stripping all of that. How do I know that's what he's doing? Because he already said in verses 5 and 6 that there is a remnant. And he says that remnant, that the, 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 the remaining people, the ones who are still being faithful to God, the minority of the whole pack, why are they the remnant? He says in verse 5, they were chosen by grace. It's by grace that you are saved. God did not look at you and say, oh, it's because you have a slightly better resume than the person next to you, and that's why you're going to heaven, and that person isn't going to heaven. That's not the gospel. God looked at all of us and said, all of y'all are hot messes. And in my grace, I'm going to take you out of the muck and mire of your own filth, and I'm going to clean you up with the blood of my son Jesus, and I'm going to make you a son and a daughter in my family, not because you are anything better than anybody else, you're not, but because I am the gracious God that I am. And he's magnifying here the grace of God in choosing those whom he will. So you say, well, how, how, what, what about my faith? What about all of that? Well, your faith is important. You actually do need to trust in the gospel. Uh, the, the means by which God brings us to himself is by your faith and trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you don't trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you're not saved. You cannot blame God for your unbelief. But it's because of what God has done in his grace that you opened up your eyes and you could look and go, oh, that's the son of God who takes away the sins of the world and you trusted in him. None of that would be possible except by the grace of God. And that's what he's done. He's brought you in. The elect obtained it. But then we have the side note, the rest were hardened. Paul, understanding that he has to make a case for that, he starts quoting scriptures to show that this is the case. It would have been a shock to hear that Israel, Israel is hardened? Israel is hardened against God, but we're the people of God. What are you talking about? And he says, no, actually, this is a recurring pattern in the history of Israel. This is not the first time it's happened. It's been happening over and over again throughout history. Notice, he quotes Isaiah 29. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Uh, in other words, you hear it and you go, is he talking about like getting drunk? That's exactly what he's talking about. God, God has inebriated their minds, if you will, so that when they see the goodness of God in the person of Jesus Christ, they don't see it. 
They see it as something else. Their, their, their mind is warped and so on, and, and they don't get what they're looking at. He says that's exactly what happened. God gave them a spirit of stupor. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 29 and saying that they have eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. And notice Paul does something very clever here. And if you read it in the scripture, it would say, down to this day. And Paul emphasizes this emphatically and saying, down to this very day. In other words, when Moses was speaking in the Old Testament, he wasn't just talking about his day and age. Paul is saying that has been the truth from then all the way to this very day. You see what he's doing right there? He's taking it and he's applying it to this situation that they are in right now, uh, rejecting the person and work of Christ. To this very day, this has been happening. God has given them eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. So what does he mean by hardening? He means by hardening that they have rejected Jesus, and instead of God in his mercy pulling them out of that rejection and to a place of repentance and faith, God lets them remain in that rejection and essentially double down. If, whenever you hear hardening, you might even just want to put in your, in your uh, margin of your Bibles, they double down. That's what happens here. Think about Pharaoh. Let my people go. And God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. What does that look like? He doubled down, right? He said, no, let your people, no, I am not going to let your people go. And y'all know this, don't you? Y'all have experienced this kind of hardening of your own hearts, You've had that before. You ever been in an argument where you knew you were wrong, but you weren't going to admit it? Apparently none of y'all have ever been in that situation. That's just me. Um, but you've been in that situation before where you know you're wrong, but you aren't going to admit it. And you're just, you're going to go down with the ship, aren't you? Right? <laughs> you're just like, no, I'm winning this argument. I know I'm wrong. I actually knew I was wrong about 15 minutes ago when I got my facts wrong. But, but that's okay. But, but I'm, I'm going to play like I'm still right, you know, and all that. You're doubling down. That's an example of your hardening of your heart. Or you have the, 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 the kid that just kind of stumps their foot. No. Oh, oh really? <laughs> this is the hill that you want to die on. Like literally, because I'm about to take you out right? <laughs> and you're just like, I can't believe you're doing this, you know, and all that. What are they doing? They're hardening, see? They're doubling down. They, they, they're in a moment where they could soften and repent, but instead, they're toughening up, gritting their teeth, and no, I'm not going to let go of this. They're hardening their hearts. God has done this to the people of Israel. Now, again, you say, but, but there are uh, plenty of Jewish of our Jewish neighbors who trust in Jesus. Yeah, remember, keep it on the aerial view, all right? He's speaking generally about the people as a whole. There are some, he already mentioned that, the elect who did obtain God's righteousness by placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by the grace of God. But largely, by and large, we're talking about the people, and he says, God has hardened them. But you look at all of that, and you say, wow, in verse 9, he quotes David with Psalm 69, let their uh, table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened, much like the language in verse 8. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. The idea is kind of forced servitude. No, they're not going to stand and, and beat their chests. No, they're not going to flaunt and taunt and all of that. No, humiliate them, God. That's the prayer in Psalm 69. And Paul, uh, Paul here is applying Psalm 69 to Christ, and he's saying Israel is now in that position of those ridiculing and harassing Jesus. They persecuted him all the way to the cross, and now it's as if the Lord himself is praying, Lord, uh, make them a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Give them eyes that cannot see, uh, and, and so on, and bend their backs forever. That's what's happening. Now notice, God is the one who is doing this in verse 8. David is praying for God to do this in verses 9 and 10. This is a part of God's plan. Then you go, hmm. So if their failing was a part of God's plan, then God wants them to fall. And therefore, we're right back where we have been in these last couple of chapters. God's promise is not fulfilled. God is not doing what he said he would do. 
And Paul again has to go there in verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? I mean, that's logical, right? If they trip, then they're going to fall. They stumbled over Christ. They stumbled over his promises, stumbled over his commands, stumbled over the cross. So, so of course, they're going to fall. Israel's not saved. They're done. That phase of God's, of God's plan is over. Now, you know, God is, is, uh, is, is, has rejected them. He's replaced them and so on. And we move on with the rest of history. That's what's, that's what's going on, right? Verse 11, Paul says, as you've heard him say all throughout this letter, meganoita, by no means, absolutely not. Israel did not stumble so that they would fall. And by fall, he means that Israel, as a people, have now been cut off from the purposes and promises of God. They will never experience salvation. That's the purpose of the whole thing. No, but rather, as we saw Israel's failure was a part of God's plan, now we see Israel's failure is a part of God's purpose. He has caused their stumbling on purpose. The purpose is not for them to fall outside of God's plan and outside of God's mission. No, but rather that their stumbling would be a part of the mission. What do I mean by that? Look at verse, 10, uh, verse 11 again. By no means, he says, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Question little straw poll here. How many of y'all are Jewish? You've got any type of Jewish connections? Looking around. <laughs> Francois uh, shook his head no. Um, I, I, you, you really didn't have to make that point so emphatically. We all knew. Uh, <laughs> but how many of y'all, therefore, are Gentiles? If you're Gentile, you're not Jewish. Every single one of us. Guess what? That was a part of God's plan. That was a part of God's purpose. God hardened Israel so that the blessings that God had offered to the people of Israel would then turn from Israel to be offered to the Gentiles. The gospel moved from Israel into the Middle East, into Europe, into, you know, um, uh, over here in America, and, and all the other places where it's gone, you know, over the centuries, into Africa, into Asia, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, what other continents are there? South America, and, and so on, into all the other continents, in case I missed any, Australia, you know, and everything. He, he, he gets the gospel all over the place to all of these Gentile peoples. How did he do that? By Israel's hardening. Israel said, we don't want Jesus to be our Messiah. We don't want him to be our Christ. We don't want his kingdom. We don't want any of that. So then God says to Gentiles, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Middle Eastern, all of us, and he says, do you want him to be your king? And over and over and over again, throughout the centuries, throughout the world, there has been a people, a diverse, wildly diverse people that have said most emphatically, yes, we want him to be our Lord. We here have said, yes, he is, Israel's Messiah is my Christ and my King. He is my Lord, and so on. Again, not because we are special or anything like that, not because of anything good in us. We've already established it's because of God's grace. God has opened the eyes of us Gentiles, us who have been over here on the side of the road and everything. They're over here working so hard trying to get their righteousness. We're over here just waltzing in going, what's up? And God says, you, grace. And we're just like, I don't even know what grace is. He's like, I'll teach you. You'll learn it as you go. But, but you, we are in the family. He's made us brothers and sisters. He's made us brothers and sisters. We are a part of the family. He is our father. We, I look at you, and, and, and you've got a different world of, of, of life than I do. You, 
many of you didn't grow up in, in Southern Maryland. Many of you didn't grow up to folks who were born and raised in D.C. Many of you, you know, grew up down here in the South and, and, and so on. Some of you, you know, didn't go to seminary. Some of you did go to seminary. Some of you are, you know, in college and seminary and so on. And, and, and you've got different stories, different lives. Some of y'all, your parents divorced. Some of y'all, you've lived life of poverty. Some of you have come from a life of wealth. Some of y'all have come from, uh, uh, from a well-educated background. Some of you have come from an uneducated background, all of these different things. And yet we gather together Sunday after Sunday, and we look at one another in the eyes and say, hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, sister, how you doing? And we don't just say that because we're Baptists and we do really weird things like that. We say it because it means something. There's something meaningful about that. The Taranikes aren't here, but I could talk about my brother Gladman from Zimbabwe. And I go over to him, and I, and I give him a big old hug, and we're family. I didn't grow up in Africa. I wish. But I didn't grow up in Africa. You know, I, I don't know anything about, you know, life over there and, and all of that. It doesn't matter. God has made us brothers. We have folks from the north and folks from the south that can come together and be brothers and sisters. You've got folks from, you know, uh, that, that would be mortal enemies in the world that live together as family and enjoy each other's fellowship because God has made that possible. We're family. This is what God is doing. God has made Israel, he has hardened Israel so that he would extend his grace and his mercy and his gospel throughout the whole world. We've got brothers and sisters that we've never even met yet. We've got brothers and sisters who don't even know it yet. (laughs) And somebody's going to have to go and give them the gospel so that they could hear and they could believe by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the Father so that they could enjoy forever the family that God is already building. This is awesome. If I could just say as a side note, this is also why when we hear news of us not acting like family, it should cut us to the core. This is not an optional thing. This is not make-believe like your kids when they're really, really young and they've got their little play kitchen and they play house and they go grab water and all that. Oh, what are you making? Oh, I'm making, you know, orange juice and eggs and all of these different things. We're playing house, right? And I'm the mommy and he's the daddy and this little doll is the, is the baby and all of that. And we're playing house. We're not playing house. We are family. If that is not your identity then you've got to dig deeply into the reality of the scriptures. You're living in a, this is a make-believe world. You pretending that we're not family is being a make-believe world. Do you see what's going on here? Because the reality is God has made us family. He has brought us together. He is joining us in fellowship. So when we decide that we're not going to treat our sisters like sisters, that we're not going to love on them and protect them and defend them and listen to them and value them in our family because we're a part of the family of God. Daddy's not going to be proud about that. Daddy's going to have something to say to us. We're not living our, our, our lives out showing forth the love of the Father towards all that he has brought into family. There's a big problem with us, not with him. We've got to acknowledge that, and we've got to repent, because God is after something fundamentally different than what we're doing. God is bringing Gentiles into this family, and he's doing so for, uh, and he's he's, uh, caused the hardening of Israel so that his love would extend to the rest of the nations and the rest of the peoples. Israel's failure is part of God's purpose. So is he just using Israel then as as just kind of the whipping boy, right? He's going, that's why I've got Israel here. I've got Israel here really to just give me some justification for why I'm going to extend the the gospel and the mission uh, all over the nations and to all peoples and all that. No, 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 no. That's not where this passage ends. Look at verse Twelve. Paul says, now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? 
God's purpose is not just to use their failure for his own purposes and for his own mission. No, no, no. He's going to go much further than that. He promises, and he just hints at it here, for the rest of the chapter, he's going to start developing this. That God has a purpose to bring the people of Israel into his people and into his fold. In other words, there's coming a day when the people of Israel are going to trust Christ as their Messiah. That day is coming. That day is coming. The same word that he uses here for fullness is the same word that he uses later on in Romans 11 when he's speaking of the Gentiles, when he talks about the full inclusion of the Gentiles. In the theology of, of Paul, in his mind, it's, it's as if God has a, a, a number, if you will, for the peoples of the world. And God has said, okay, I want this many uh, uh, Americans, if you will, you know, to be a part of my family. I want this many uh, 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 Nigerians to be a part of my world, this, uh, of my family. I want this many uh, 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 British, if you will, to be a part, this many Canadians to be here, this many, you know, from Germany and, and, and from Korea and, and, and Singapore and all of this. And, and there's this, this fullness, if you will. And when God reaches a point where his family is exactly where he wants it to be, then God will say, time is up. And it seems as if he's saying, even here for the Jews, there's a number. And he's saying, I am going to pour out my grace and my blessing on the people of Israel. Why is this important? When God says people from every nation, every tribe, every language, and so on, he includes here the people of Israel. Right now we look and we say the vast majority of Israelis don't follow Jesus. I got to visit Israel and I got to go and walk the streets over there. It was fabulous. But one of the things that was very overwhelming to me as I was walking around was how few Christians there were. Um, even over in Bethlehem, you've got Christmas trees up because, you know, Bethlehem. And they've got, they've got little, you know, uh, LED Christmas tree lights and things like that. And they've got it all decorated. I, I don't know if it's year-round, but they've got it decorated, you know, for tourists and everything. And, and Bethlehem is in a Muslim-controlled part of Israel. The, the, the number one religion in Bethlehem right now is Islam. Yeah, that's wild. So we look and we go, right now it doesn't look like, like the mission is, is, is successful. It doesn't look like there are many people that are coming to faith in Israel. But yet the Lord is saying, the day is coming when that will completely turn around. When Israel's fullness will be part of my people. Why is that important? Because right now we see hardening in our culture, don't we? We see, as it, as it seems, culture having this visceral rejection of the things of God. And unfortunately, we're even seeing that cut through many of our churches. God will have the last word. Don't look at what is right now and assume that this is the way it will always be. Can you all hear me on that? Just because it is what it is right now does not mean that it will be what it is right now, forever. No. The God who is in control of the hardening of hearts, the God who is in control of, of, the, uh, of, 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 of the rejection, the God who is in control of, of the rebellion, the God who is in control of all of these things that are going on in, in the world right now, the God who has all of this happening under his watch is the God who is able to turn it all around and make all things new. He has promised that the day is coming when he will indeed make it happen. So in our time of lament and grieving and mourning, it would be wise for us as we look at the failures of our world to turn, as Paul did, to the God who is above and beyond all that is going on in this world. And to see once again that he has not failed. He cannot fail. He will accomplish his purpose. None of this is a threat to his plan. No one, as of all people, King Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel 4, 
No one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? There is no one that can stop the unstoppable God. All the evil that we see inside and outside of the church. May we be reminded that this is the very reason that Jesus came. To put an end to sin once and for all. To reestablish righteousness, justice, and peace on earth in his kingdom. And he will not, he cannot fail. Let's pray. Father, I ask your grace on us. We need your help today. Have mercy, Lord. Again, I pray on those who are hurting, on those who are struggling. Show them once again that you are the sovereign God in control of all things and that you will indeed accomplish your purpose. If you are, by your grace, able to take a hardened Israel and use her hardening for the salvation of all from Gentiles who would trust in you, then, Father, we can trust that you can make something for your glory out of even the failings that we witness today. You are not aloof. You are not on the sidelines watching all of this go on helplessly. You are the sovereign king working all things together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. Your promise will stand. Jesus will reign. So Father, I pray today that we would recommit to you our trust, our hope, our very lives. To say, Lord, even in the dark, you are still God. The darkness is not dark for you. We trust and we hope. We thank you for all these things.